I'm Danny Dyer. I'm about to meet the most depressed android in the galaxy. You bloody kid. I'm going to come round there and flush your head down the toilet. Is he not an Englishman, though? Is he not an Englishman? It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, officially the non-official podcast companion to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Stedman, mostly harmless. I'm John Hickman, and if you have to take me apart to get me there, then I don't want to go. I'm John Bounds, and I have worked in local radio, which is more interesting than you'd think. In this show, we'll be taking apart the Douglas Adams universe piece by piece and putting it back together in alphabetical order. So let's begin, predictably enough, with the A's and an obscure added extra. No discerning star buggy driver would touch with a 10-mile Arcturan megapole. Advanced Vectoid Stabilisys, or if you've heard the audiobook Stabilisys, is a device you can add to your spaceship, uh, quote, that only wimps go for, unquote. I imagine many a novice pilot has been talked into uh, buying this by some greasy sales droid. So, chaps, what's the worst thing you've ever been talked into buying? I don't often get talked into buying things. Um, I'm... uh... I'd, I'm, I'm not one. I'm, I would uh, keep myself very far away from a, a salesperson in most respects. But I will sort of talk myself into buying things. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, and I'm not saying it's the worst thing. But the thing that's been preying on my mind recently is about two years ago, I backed a Kickstarter for a thing that was called at the time the Hemming Rice. Now, uh, oh my god! Now I um consider myself a bit of a writer i do quite a lot of writing and but one of the things that i i think a lot of writers complain about these days is uh and um distraction and particularly the distractions of writing on a machine that also is your portal to absolutely everything uh that's interesting in the world wikipedia uh videos of um cats falling over porn everything so and you can't turn it off because you know how to turn it off and you turn it on again. So the idea of the Hemingway is essentially it's a typewriter with an e-ink screen that syncs to the cloud. So you don't have to retype or anything. Uh, but you, you've got no internet. You've got no control. All you can do is type. And it's brilliant in theory. And it's got a lovely keyboard. And it's, um, you know, they built it, based it on the, uh, on actually on Hemingway's typewriter. It's got a great action, as they say. And the syncing works brilliantly. And it's a lovely bit of kit. And it was 300 odd, uh, quid plus import duty. But I thought I got it and this is going to be brilliant. This is going to solve all my problems apart from one thing. I've still got my laptop. It's still in the room. <laughs> I can go and turn it on and look at it at any time. I can't believe you bought that and you didn't buy Advanced Vectoid Stabilisys. The, I, the thing is, I would buy that because if you think that, um, you know, the cornering around a uh, trilateral time axis, that would be difficult and the handling would go on soggy. But in a spaceship, my main uh, two things are... I want to get there, and I want to get there safely. You don't want to get there in style, then? Well, see, I would have thought, as the as the father in the group, uh, <laughs> Mr Hickman, that you'd be all in favour of uh, the Volvo of the space world. Yeah, well, I, I, when I was thinking about this earlier on, I was thinking, like, sorry if I'm dad-splaining this one to you, but do you get the joke? AVS sounds like ABS, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's, the, it's the joke is it's a... a a car technological petrojet. In fact, in the book, if you read it, I think the joke is essentially 
the form of words yes. rather than anything about the joke. Yeah. And I think it works brilliantly as a one-off um, joke. Yeah, it does. Uh, and I, I, I find it funny, and it's the sort of thing that people who uh, would watch Top Gear uh, would say to each other uh, when they don't have anything, when they're finished exploring the um, the virtues of whichever A-road they've got to the particular party <laughs> uh, through, you know? Oh, you got that uh, uh, advanced vector stabilities on your car, I see. Oh, isn't that a bit soggy through there? You don't want that. You don't want that. You don't want that. Oh, well, of course, Hammond is late because he forgot to turn off the advanced vectoid stabilities. So, like a chump, he's still stuck at the services. Now let's do something racist. And so we move to a mad fat bat with an astonishing collection of teeth and a deadly vendetta against our hero. Agrajag is the creature with the sprained mind who constructed the Cathedral of Hate in Arthur's name after believing him to be the cause of his many deaths. Bounder, what's the worst thing you've ever been accused of? Now, I'm quite glad uh, the way you phrase this, Park, um, because if it was the worst thing I'd ever done, I'd have to admit to something very naughty indeed. But if it's the worst thing I've ever been accused of, I can leave it hanging as to whether I actually did it. And the thing that's, uh, I've been accused of that has hurt me the most is, uh, I once, uh, made a, was involved in making a Twitter account that was very, very, not abusive, but, um, ridiculing a particular politician who then uh, went and resigned from his post very quickly after. But that wasn't the thing that I was accused of doing because I, what I did was I wrote a little bit for the, uh, the Telegraph, a, a, a newspaper, well, some would say, um, and I was accused of cashing in on having done it. Oh, wow. Which I thought was horrible because, I mean, I did get 125 pounds. Uh, which is the uh, online article <laughs> freelance fee for the Daily Telegraph, um, but I didn't. I, I didn't do it to cash in. I did it because I like ripping the pee out of politicians, and also, yeah, a man got to eat. <laughs> Absolutely. What about you, Mister H? I'm going to go a different way with this. I've got um, a guilty secret, although I have exercised the demons, which is that. Uh, for a long time, my mum believed that our cat had uh, caused a large rip in the uh, fabric of the... Um... Space-time continuum. No, remember in the 80s, uh, your sofas used to have covers that you could take off and put in the washing machine. Yes. Uh, Loose-leaf sofas? Loose-leaf? Sure. Do they not still have them? Loose covers? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Then Maybe they, maybe they do. But my mum my for a long time believed that the cat had caused a large rip down the uh, fabric counterpane thing that went over the sofa, when in actual fact it was me and my brother scrapping. Um, and for some reason he was chasing me wearing steel toe cap boots and he kind of stamped on it and it all ripped. <gasps> and she gave the cat such a bollocking and we told her about 10 years after that cat was dead. <laughs> so that's probably the worst thing that cat got accused of. Um, Do we like Agrajack? Do we think he's a, think he's a good character? Do we think um, he... Do we think Arthur has done what he's accused him of? Yes, but just not on purpose. As Arthur says, it's fate playing silly buggers with me, with you, with us. Is it explored in the book, the possibility that it's that it's just related to the nonsense that is the universe, or is that just everyone's headcanon? I can't quite get a fix on this. No, it isn't. It, it, I mean, it, it, it's never wrapped up. He meets Agrajag. And then that's it. I mean, there's it's never brought up again. The only times it's ever referenced is when... Um, Arthur realises that he's probably not going to die because he hasn't yet been to Stavromulabita. Yes. And then obviously at the very end of the of the fifth book, uh, he's then shot. Yeah. Uh, spoiler. 
Um, but there's no other point at which it ever becomes apparent that what Agrijag said is true. But we assume it to be true because he comes up with good evidence about being a bowl of petunias. So what I'm saying is, 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 it, is it ever does does anyone ever address in the, in the books or in the in the radio play or anything like that um, in the radio show? Uh, does anyone ever address the fact that it, it could be the dicking around of the the heart of gold and the probability drive? I don't think it is. Obviously, is. the first time the first time that we know we see Aquajag is just after the drive's been switched on, isn't it? Yeah, well, the the second time when Arthur switches it on in order to evade the Magrathian uh, warheads, uh, it's been turned on before then. But no, it's it's yeah. So he was a nuclear warhead and then got turned into a bowl of petunias. Um, so yeah, but uh, that's a that's a, a really interesting thought. He's almost the the exhaust fumes of infinite improbability. I love the idea that there's a sort of probability debt. <laughs> which is kind of what the 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 heart of gold does. Uh, um, so that was so improbable, we have to bounce it out with um, stuff. Mm. So yeah. when say um, Leicester City win the English Premier League, um, what has to happen to balance that out? Because it was about two thousand to one. Yeah, maybe that's why uh, Trump got elected. I don't <laughs> know. And now we cover the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. The Encyclopedia Galactica describes alcohol as a colourless, volatile liquid formed from the fermentation of sugars, whereas the guide has a somewhat more pragmatic answer. Now, we all three like a little drink, and sometimes can be given over to experimentation when it comes to the combination of liquids. So, Mr Hickman, what's the weirdest cocktail you've ever drunk? So, I've got a definite answer for what the weirdest cocktail is I've ever drunk, but then something else has just jumped in my mind, so I want to tell you about two cocktails. Um, one is the most theatrical cocktail that I've ever had, not the weirdest one. There's a bar in Finland and they do a cocktail called a Ramstein. Um, and if you order a Ramstein, then the whole bar goes into darkness and all the staff go away into a back room. And then Ramstein is played through the stereo, lasers come on, the staff come out and they kind of uh, breathe fire and... <laughs> He's like thrown um, alcohol all over the place, set fire to the pool, alcohol on the bar and set fire to it. And then at the end of it, you get a tiny drink. <laughs> it's the most bizarre thing you've you've ever seen. If you if you Google Ramstein cocktail Finland, you will find plenty of videos of, of the Ramstein being performed. It is very theatrical. It costs a lot of money and you do get a tiny drink at the end, um, which is a lot. It is a lot of fun. But the... Um, the question, the question was actually the weirdest cocktail I've ever drunk, which is that's pretty weird, though, John. That is pretty weird. Yeah, you could go and get it. That's the that's the thing. You could go and get a Ramstein. Sure, that's accessible to you. The cocktail I'm about to tell you about is the weirdest one because it's it's very much in keeping with the with the infinite improbability drive. Actually, um, I was out drinking for a, uh, a good a good old session when I was far too young. Um, on an island called Sark, which is just off of Guernsey, where I'm from. Um, on Sark, you can drink in the pubs when you're 16, so it's a great place to go for your summer holidays. And we ended up in a, a cottage somewhere, which I couldn't find again if I ever tried to look for it. And uh, I don't know who had the keys or whose cottage it was, but loads of people who I was with on the campsite were there. And uh, we found all the alcohol that was in the building and we put it into a jug. And it was amazing. 
it tasted incredible. <laughs> you George's marvellous medicine dip. We did. And we called the cocktail Christmas because <laughs> it was the taste of Christmas in a glass. And um, I can only think that it was because there was a strong Ribena base to it that it tasted like Christmas. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, uh, Ribena, obviously, uh, of its own is an, is an alcoholic, but all the port and rum and stuff that we put in it was very alcoholic. Um, and then Christmas became a thing where we were like, well, let's try and find Christmas. So anytime we made a shit mix cocktail after that, it was like, let's try and make it taste like Christmas. Let's try and make it Chris- taste like Christmas. And we found it only once. It took us about three or four years to get there, but we found Christmas again. That is wonderfully and, and beautifully whimsical in a an almost Richard Curtis kind of way. I like the idea of the the, the movie coming this winter is Finding Christmas. Finding it's about a, <laughs> a group of friends who once, you know, I, I can see it playing out now. It's a group of friends. It starts a little bit like The World's End where they're all mates together and they've all gone on holiday and they've all made their, this amazing George's Marvellous Medicine drink. And then it cuts to 20 years later. They're all fat. They're all boring. They're all grey. And then one of them thinks, you know what would be amazing? Let's take that trip back to a place and we'll all try and, and find Christmas again. And they never quite do it, but they do rekindle their friendship. Credits. Wow. I was thinking about alcohol and I was thinking about alcohol in a galaxy. And I was thinking how interesting it is that the, the Hitchhiker's universe is very alcoholic because obviously you could have any number of um, life forms who might get high on any number of different chemical formulae, right? Mm. But there's something about the the ethanols, the methanols, all the ols, all the lols, um, that is universal in Hitchhiker's universe. For carbon-based life forms. For carbon-based life forms, yeah, that's, that, that, that's true. So that means that they must be into yeast, right? Yeah. Go, go with me for a okay. second. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. You have alcohol, you need some yeast. They have yeast. Almost definitely they're all going to have bread. So, question for you two. How does the babelfish deal with the cobs, baps, batches? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think this is a fascinating question and one that we should... Um, we should a- aim to resolve. In fact, uh, let us know if you want to. If you want to drop us an email, feedback at btlpodcast.com. Um, I mean, a what do you call uh, a thing that is basically like a burger bun uh, for those not in the UK? But in the UK, we have seventeen different names for the thing that is two bits of bread that isn't a sandwich, <laughs> but is like. Big bread that comes together. Call it what it is, Mark. Call round. it what it is. Give it its name. Oh, you see, I can't because even if I say BAP, it feels it's wrong in certain contexts, and I'm sure that's I'm sure that's uh, that's bad thinking. But uh, I can't help. But I don't know. Sometimes I want to say bun. I think it depends on uh, on what I'm putting in it. This is the beautiful thing about the babelfish, isn't it? Both eliminates and preserves local dialects because they wouldn't need to bleed into each other. Maybe we can come back for that. Mm-hmm. Yes, we will. We will be covering the Babelfish at a later date. Um, before we move on, then I'm going to quickly run down the ingredients for a pangalactic gargle blaster. Take the juice from one bottle of Old Jank Spirit. Uh, we will talk about Old Jank Spirit uh, as it comes up later on uh, in the series. Pour into it one measure of water from the seas of Santraginus Five. 
Oh, that Santraginian seawater. Oh, those Santraginian fish. Allow three cubes of Arcturan Megagin to melt into the mixture. It must be properly iced or the benzene is lost. What is what is the benzene? Do we know what well, the benzene, benzene is? Benzene is just a thing, right? It's benzene's fuel. That's, um, that's, that's camp- camping gas. All right. All right. Knowledge. Allow four litres of Thalian marsh gas to bubble through it in memory of all those happy hikers who have died in pleasure in the marshes of Thalia. Over the back of a silver spoon floats a measure of qualactin hypermint extract, redolent of all the heady odours of the dark qualactin zones. Subtle, sweet and mystic. Drop in the tooth of an Algolian sun tiger, which may come up later. Watch it dissolve, spreading the fires of the Algolian suns deep into the heart of the drink. Sprinkle zamphor, which is a made-up thing. Add an olive, which is not. Drink, but very carefully. It tastes like Christmas. As a fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide, we've got a suggestion for you. What If Serious Scientific Answers to Absurd Hypothetical Questions is a book by Randall Munro. John, Mr Hickman, why don't you tell us a little bit more about this book? Yeah, it's, um, if you've ever seen um, really funny, really nerdy, science-y uh, cartoons with stick characters, um, you, then you've probably been looking at comics by uh, XKCD. And Randall Munro is the guy who writes XKCD and... What If was a side, or is a side project to that, where uh, Randall takes science questions from people. And uh, What If is the book of the blog of the cartoon. So this is the audio book of the book of the blog of the cartoon. Um, I think it would really appeal to people who like Hitchhikers because... Um, his his writing style reads like a guide entry. It's got that sort of... it's. It's it's dry, it's scientific, and then suddenly it just nails the punchline on you, um, which I really, really love about it. Uh, Some of the questions that people have sent in are really funny, they're really kind of pop culture nerdy, and then he turns them into science nerdy, uh, so that's really nice. There's questions in there like, could you make a rocket pack out of um, machine guns? Uh, He looks into what you'd have to do to calculate the amount of thrust to get yourself off the ground, how many machine guns you need to strap to your back. Um, my favourite one is probably uh, what would actually happen if we all went to one place and jumped at the same time. Uh, <laughs> do you want me to spoil that for you? No, I think uh, what people should do is uh, if they if they want it read to them, if you, dear listener, want it read to you uh, by someone off of Star Trek, um, then you should go to Audible. You can get it right now from Audible along with a selection of over 180,000 audio titles. I love them, we love them, they're great, and you can try out their service for 30 days and get a free audiobook, which you get to keep forever, by the way. If you head over to audibletrial.com slash leopard, you can get hold of that book, and uh, it's going to be my next purchase, I think, because I very much like the sound of that. Thank you, John Hickman. So uh, go there, go there now, and uh, pick up a copy of What If at audibletrial.com slash leopard. And since we've already covered alcohol in this episode, and it's been at least five minutes since any of us have had a nip, let's circle back around and pick up on some fine liqueurs. Aldebaran, or Aldebaran, is a giant orange star around 65 light-years from our sun and is the brightest star in the constellation of Taurus, 
True fact. It's also where some of the best booze in the galaxy can be found. At Milliways, the MC recommends some of their liqueurs, and Trillian tries to use some uh, Aldebaran wine to coax Zaphod out of his funk. So... This is the first real-world spacey thing we come to, and is one of many, but given that it's a star, could this just be a brand name? And if so, would you pick up some Aldebaran wine from a duty-free? And what must the import duty be like? On World Trade Organization rules, it's 35%. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know what Galactic Trade Organization rules would be, and I don't know if uh, Alpha Centauri has um, done some sort of exit or whatever, to get out of uh, <laughs> a union. See, that was difficult. Alexit. Don't say Alexit, John, because you're going to um, you're gonna end up triggering a bunch of people's uh, home uh, Amazon devices. <laughs> Hating us. Play uh, Beware of the Leopard. <laughs> uh, but I would, um, no, I would uh, totally pick it up. I'm a, a sucker for the local spirit wherever I go. I uh, come back. For, you know, it, nearly every place in Europe you can either get, um, was a dividing line actually across Europe as to where you go and you get a clear spirit that tastes a bit like aniseed. And in Northern Europe, you get quite a thick, dark spirit that tastes a bit like aniseed. But it's called something different everywhere you go, but it's essentially the same taste. And I always bring a bottle back. Can you only just taste aniseed? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, in February, our moon had a brush with this star, which cast a shadow over... Uh, our moon uh, that could be seen in the UK as well as Mexico and South America. So we missed that by uh, just a few months, just a few yeah. short months. Wow. So at the risk of being the, the, the dumb one in the group, right, I, I I both heard your intro and I've read the show notes, right? So I'm, I'm aware of all the things that you said in the run-up to this conversation, okay? Okay. Just, just let that sink in for a second. Sure. I've only just twigged that that's a real star. Oh, that's fine. I didn't know until I looked You it literally up. said, oh, this is a real star, lads, and you told me where it is in the sky. Is it in Taurus? <laughs> Something like that? Yeah, the constellation of the bull. The constellation of the bullshit is what you thought, John, <laughs> wasn't it? I'm saying here, like, just... Sipping, sipping on a craft beer, just going, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And then you start talking about the moon. And I'm like, why is he talking about our moon? Oh, I love that. I love <laughs> that. Like our, moon. The, oh, our, moon. our moon, as if it's like, uh, you know, it's like your kid brother. <laughs> our moon. Have you met our moon? <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just go around and ask our moon, see if he's got one. <laughs> so, so, um, now that I've caught up with everybody, what what a great segment this is. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, if you thought that was interesting, this next thing is going to blow your mind clean off. Algol, or Beta Percy, if you're nasty, is a star in the Perseus constellation and is home to the Algolian sun tiger in the radio series. Um, in the radio series, Trillian is forcibly married to the chairman of the Galactic Rotary Club's Algolian chapter and, coincidentally, uh, is another place that makes particularly good wine. But, Bounder, because all of this happens in the radio series, is it canon? Do we care? Oh, canon's a funny thing, isn't it? Um... I hope so, because uh, we are sensibly <laughs> trying to be... Yeah, go, sorry, go, go. Well, no, I, I think um, canon is... The idea of canon is problematic, but in sci-fi, at least, it has a get-out clause in the sense that they are multiple universes. And I think the idea that Trillium was married off is explained away in uh, the third and fourth radio series as happening in... If Correct me if I'm wrong. Happening in... The universe that was created in the guide offices for Zaphod to explore for the purposes of him not um, 
dying when he went into the total perspective vortex because in that universe he was the most important thing in the world so he didn't get the perspective of not being essentially this raises the interesting question for me about whether or not this is proof that Zaphod is inherently misogynistic because um that happened in his universe and not in the real one um but Jesus Christ. What I love about this is that we're literally saying it's, it is Zaphod's headcanon. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's take a break and think about telly. Netflix is the new place where long dead TV shows are resurrected. So I thought we could spend a couple of minutes casting a hypothetical new Hitchhiker's Netflix series. Any thoughts on who'd play Arthur? I think in the sense of uh, the film may have kind of, uh, they may have gone there, but it's sort of like Simon Pegg, if wet, Martin Freeman. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I think Freeman is now too old, but I could see Pegg doing a good job. I've actually in my head, I've gone for Arthur Darville. Ah, I've got Arthur Darville written down as well. Who's that? Arthur Darville was, um, one of the companions, she was Karen, he was Karen Gillan's boyfriend in Doctor Who, and he is the priest off of, out of... Broadchurches. Uh, Broadchurch. <laughs> um, yeah. Has there been anything on television in the years 1995 to 2010? I, I think say. he was in one of the uh, first three seasons of Boone. <laughs> I would say him there. He's also... He wasn't, he wasn't, sorry, that was a really indulgent joke. <laughs> So I had Arthur Darville written down as well, and I, I I got trapped in a Doctor Who loop, to be on to to be perfectly honest, because I thought Matt Smith wasn't a bad shout as well. It did cross my he's mind. Got that, yeah, he's got the height and he's got the height and and the, and the build. But what age do you think Arthur has to be? Well, he's the thing is he's supposed to be I think mid twenties, um, but he's so he's such a cardigan that. He could quite easily be older. Oh, you've just nailed what I was thinking that I couldn't articulate. So thank you. <laughs> is is that he is like a forty five year old man? Yeah, in a twenty five year old's body, isn't he? That's basically he's he's an articulation of a of an Englishman archetype that never really existed, but the seventies liked to harken back to. And I think there was you know he was stuffy and kind of curmudgeonly then. Um, and so when you, when you adjust for inflation, I think you end up with someone like David Mitchell, but who doesn't look like David Mitchell. Somebody, so you want, you will basically want Mitchell in Woe's body, don't you? Not in a sexy way. Do you just, that's <laughs> to each his own. I'm not convinced by this, by the way, because I was, I think these people did exist at the time. I think people aged very quickly. Uh, there was precious, the, the, the concept of the teenager was still quite new and you essentially went from kid to teenager at 15 to at 18, uh, you get married and essentially you became your dad and there was nothing in between. There was nothing, there weren't, um, you, you know, you, you put away childish things as it were. And um, if, particularly if you wanted to go ahead in the uh, the the um, the world of uh, BBC local radio production, <laughs> you would have had to have uh, you would have had to have stoked your pipe, got your cardigan on, uh, you know, started listening to Radio Four. You're, no, you're absolutely right because Graham Chapman was once twenty five, and I will never believe that he was was ever not a cardigan. So no, I I, I do I support what you're saying actually. After I went for Arthur Darville, which was the the 
recasting the original TV show version. I had to think about some some other people and I struggled for a bit and then I came up with it. I'm going to try and get into character for you. Oh, I'm Daddy Dyer and I'm about to meet the worst poets in the universe. <laughs> that could be the guy. Oh, I'm Danny Dyer. I'm about to meet the most depressed android in the galaxy. Oh, I'm Danny Dyer. I'm about to meet Etc. Galambits, the triple-breasted horror of Roticon 6. <laughs> it would work. It would work. It's a... It's a different direction because Danny Dyer's a little bit too um, proactive. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a bit too alpha. Pro, no, not alpha at all, but he's, he's proactive. And proactive is essentially uh, a new word we use these days for gauche. <laughs> is he not? Is he not an Englishman, though? Do you know what I mean? Is he not an Englishman? I, well, today, I mean, who will speak for England? <laughs> Basically, I don't think it maybe was at the time, but Doug, uh, Arthur is essentially Douglas. Yeah. As it, as it turns out. So we need to think about someone who was probably not hugely rich, but, um, you know, he's been to Cambridge. He knows how the world works. Uh, but he wishes it would stop yeah. working. Yes. So I don't know. Jacob Reese Mogg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if you would like to cast your vote, you can do that by going to btlpodcast.com and uh, scroll down and find the poll for uh, the uh, hypothetical casting of Arthur and cast your vote. I'm Danny Dyer. They like me and I make sandwiches. Let's move on to a beautiful part of the galaxy dreamed up wholly by Adams. Alossomania Sinica is a world of stunning natural beauty. It only gets one mention in Life, the Universe and Everything, as the place Trillian flees, uh, flies the Heart of Gold to. Mr Hickman, as someone given to exercise, as you are, would you make the long and gruelling trek across the snow plains of Liska to the summit of the ice crystal pyramids of Sistantua? Can I just clarify, is this place real? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> judging, judging by the fact that a cursory Googling reveals one of uh, reveals the first result to be a wikier entry for the Hitchhiker's Guide to I'm the Galaxy. Just yank, I'm just yanking your chain. You're yanking my crank. There is a problem, of course, that uh, these days, um, you know, um, planets, things get named all the time, and lots of planets these days, unfortunately, are geeky types, and they keep naming planets after things that were invented by sci-fi authors. So... Okay, yeah. so that's that's a good way in for me to talk about this. As Mark's mentioned that I like exercise. I track how many miles I've done in all of my running shoes. How's that connected, you say? Well, because... Bluetooth. Damn it! You made the same joke I was going to make. I was literally going to do it, but you got there by a millisecond. Well done, Bounder. So my my running shoe tracking app needs, needs a name for the shoes, and I've inevitably named them after my favourite... Uh, spaceships from sci-fi and uh, my parachutes. You bloody key. I know, I know. I'm going to come around there and flush your head down the toilet. <laughs> Currently, I've got two pairs of shoes uh, because of complicated reasons. Uh, Event Horizon, I've done 166.3 miles at a cost of 24 pence per mile. <laughs> Galactica have actually done zero miles because they're so nice, I can't wear them to run in. I've been wearing them out and about. <laughs> Um, my last retired pair of shoes were the Heart of Gold. Um, and nobody could have predicted this. Uh, they only did 219 miles and they pulled apart at the seams. <laughs> Running's probably one of the best ways I have of calibrating my head. So, yes, 
Mark, the answer to your question is, I would do that trek. You would make the trek across the snow plains of Liska to the summit of the ice crystal pyramids of Sustantia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like um, running and exercise and stuff like that. It's there's there's all this science isn't there that explains why, but um, it it genuinely does clear my head, and uh, I I get things that I'm working on quite bound up in my head and I go for a run and it does help everything fall fall into place. The trouble is, is that you get home and um, it's all kind of falling into the right positions and you're in the shower and you can't write it down. Waterproof pen. All right. Um, let's, let's move on. Um, let's, um, let's, I, I want to, guys, I want to talk to you about God. Almighty Bob is the god whose existence is probably the most spurious, as he was likely invented by old Thrashbarg. He's the deity of the planet Lamuella, who uh, sent them a fiery chariot containing the Sandwich Maker, a six-foot-tall ape descendant called Arthur. Now, I'm sure we all have a favourite, probably offensive religious epithet that we yell when, for example, stubbing a toe or expressing surprise and alarm. Mine is Jesus buttery Christ. Bounder, what's yours? Oh, I go through stages. Um, For a while recently it was Cardinal Henry Newman, (laughs) who was a, a... a, a, a cleric uh, who's recently been beatified, actually. Uh, I'm also a fan of Sweet Jesus of Nazareth <laughs> because uh, I like placing people. But the number one, number one, number one for all time, just simply, oh, God, because it's got so few syllables and so many ways of being expressed. It can mean so many things. So when I was thinking about Almighty Bob and how he's he's accepted by and tolerated by the Lomeloans, it made me think about old... old uh, or thrash bargain what he is and what he's doing and how everyone relates to him so i don't want to go too much into that because we're going to do it later on but essentially my my advanced pitch my kind of trailer for the future when we get to tea stay with us guys is um it's a really really interesting example of care in the community <laughs> because everybody's just like well, he's going to do that thing. Yes. Okay. Thrash. We're going to deal with okay. that thing. And the 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 main thing that I've seen recently in TV that really does this really really well is Suzanne in Orange is the New Black. Yes. Where everybody is managing her conditions mm-hmm. as part of the way that they manage their own lives. It's like, well, we're going to have to square off what Thrashbarg needs. We're going to square off what Suzanne needs. And then we're going to do the things that we need to do over here. And we're going to mm-hmm. create spaces that are safe for her to, to do those things. And so like when, um, when Trillian arrives, he, he kind of tries to ceremonialize it and they're all just kind of like, well, okay, let's just see what's happening. That's a thing that he needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's, that's really interesting. And almighty Bob is part of the way that they care for him. That's kind of, that's quite beautiful. And now, regrettably, this podcast is scheduled for demolition. But before we go, who here is working on anything interesting? Mr. Bounds. Um, I'm still writing a book, which you cannot read. Uh, but if you want to read what I am writing <laughs> at the moment... It's because it's because you've written it on a, on a Hemingwright. <laughs> oh, well, and, but also mainly because it is not finished, and you cannot read a book until it's finished and printed. But if you do want to read what I am writing, which is uh, about culture and politics essentially pop over to popandpolitics.co.uk Mr Hickman and if you want to see what John and I are both doing to confuse everybody by um, trying to put the phrase John what's the phrase it's no wonder 
that uh, lots of London professionals are moving to the Midlands. On top of New Yorker cartoons, um, then you can go to At Paradise Circus. Um, nobody really knows what we're doing. And it's great. We're getting some lovely reactions. Um, more usefully, you can go to at RunnerPod and find out how to uh, find out more about my shoes and their names. That's uh, at RunnerPod on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, or RunnerPod.com for the podcast about running and technology. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Uh, well, that just about wraps it up for The Leopard. You can find this show at btlpodcast.com, along with all of our contact details. Drop us an email to feedback at btlpodcast.com uh, and uh, let us know what you call a bap or a bread roll. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe to the show in your podcasting app. Just search for Beware of the Leopard. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to pick up your free audiobook and start your free trial at audibletrial.com slash leopard. And if you have a moment, do please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps people find the show and makes us feel important. We'll be back in a week, so until then, share and enjoy. It's cobs and baps all over again, mate. <laughs> That's how you do uh, beatboxing, isn't it? I think cobs and baps and cobs and baps and. <laughs> I didn't quite get that one. What was that? Uh, it was a, it was a it was a boots and cats oh, reference. It won't make it into okay. the edit. It's fine.